Yo, dude. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? We're good. Aww. Oh, look at you. <laughs> look at you. Oh, I'm actually <laughs> so excited. <laughs> Me too. So it's good. been so long. Oh, it's been way too long. I know. Have you been surviving? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, yeah, I don't know. It's been, I don't think it's, there's been enough calm to like properly process anything. Yeah. So I'm going to say I'm doing great. Two <laughs> <laughs> or three years and I'll be able to update you on how <laughs> good or not I actually am. Oh man. One of the things we, we both kind of agree to talk about was just Jesus, which I feel like is such a big topic to begin with. But yeah. I thought um, if you are comfortable with sharing a little bit about, I guess, how you found him or how he found you. <laughs> 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 and like, um, I have a few questions written down that you can kind of choose to answer, choose to uh, sure. I guess, divert from and create your own story. But I guess, um, yeah, how you found him or like, what does he mean to you? And um, I guess the big question I have is like, how has your experience and relationship with him changed as you've gotten older and then become like a husband and become a father and like hit certain different stages of your life? 100%. Yeah. Great intro. By the way, let me just start with, thank you so much for having me on here. Oh God, of course. <laughs> <laughs> like, we had Sarah Young on last time, and I'm like, she's freaking phenomenal, and so smart, and so wonderful, and like, needs to have her voice shouted from the mountaintops, because she's just one of my heroes forever and always, and Connect Group buddy, for the two times Connect Group. Um. But yeah, I, I love that you're doing this. Oh. I, I remember we talked about this ages ago that you were going to go on some podcast and I was like, just like yeah. be with eyes um, yeah. with you leave out there. And, you know, now to be entirely honest, I'm kind of on the other side going like stuff what people think, like just put it <laughs> up there and let other people find whatever they want to find. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's such a comp, it's such a, such a complication of you know wanting to give yourself the privacy to progress and to evolve and to change your own opinions but at the same time there's something so wonderful and vulnerable about what you're doing that gives people um an opportunity to learn and to listen and to engage in that process um, yeah. i'm just more skeptical of people who want to come and judge and critique and you know <laughs> yeah poke their fingers in the wound kind of thing yeah um, <clears throat> But yeah, G the Jesus conversation is like such a funny one, I think, for me, especially with where I'm at right now, because growing up, I wouldn't have known anything other than, you know, white male evangelical Jesus. And now I kind of want nothing to do with either a white or a male Jesus. <laughs> um, and yeah, and yeah, we'll unpack that more as that makes more sense. Um, because I have more things that I think people equate with Jesus that I don't want anything to do with anymore. Um, that I think will be pretty controversial as we talk as well. <laughs> like I'm, I'm waiting. Controversial if it wasn't a podcast hosted by Isabella. 
Went, that's true. That's true. I mean, I'm not that I'm like, it has to be controversial, but that's the reputation I feel like I have. So I might as well just lean into it. Yeah, I love it. And if I can help, I'm in. I'm I, mean, just, hey. I, can't, <laughs> I can't wait for the funny text I'm going to get from people going, what the hell are you thinking, Cody? Like, are you teaching this in class? And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, this is, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but this is the most like with Sarah Young's podcast, we finished and part of me was like, it's going to come across not well and people are going to not like it. And there were some people that had questions, but like, there was a lot of people that messaged and were just so, um, one of the people that messaged me was like, it was a bomb to my soul. And I was uh, like, if one person yeah, feels that <laughs> like, way feels that way about something that we've said where it's encouraging or it's healing then it's like I could care less if people are like that was a bit controversial and I'm like I don't care like that that was just like yay (laughs) so anyway sorry to interrupt all about the one Isabella all about do it for the one (laughs) um okay so so my story with Jesus and Christianity overlap quite a lot but for me Jesus has nothing to do with what we would call Christianity today Mm. Um, so I I grew up in a church um, I think as a lot of people who identify as Christian do um, and it's a it's a big story so I'm going to try and kind of wrap it up succinctly Um, but I'm going to, so I'm going to tell it chronologically, but it's not necessarily the way I ordered it or I engaged with it in my life. It's not necessarily the order I engaged with it. So when I was real young, um, I was abused by a family member. So I was um, sexually abused by a family member and never really dealt with it. Um, Never talked about it, never really engaged with it and kind of just moved forward with the life, not knowing it was weird. So we'll compartmentalize that for now in the story, just like I did as my child, um, <laughs> as a child. Um, and so I kind of grew up in the church and like my mom worked for church. My dad was an elder. My brother became a youth pastor, um, blah, 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 blah. I was basically a PK, loved it. I actually have no bad experiences except for my bad experience, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which was when I was 16, um my my mom was arrested and convicted uh, or prosecuted at that point um for theft and embezzlement from a church in phoenix and um basically she was overseeing a bunch of different departments within the church one of them happened to be finance and um she was making some decisions that she believed were in the best interest of the church for one of their upcoming building projects um but little did she know, because she wasn't a registered accountant, that it was actually bad form. And so when she was stepping away from that position, somebody saw that there was a discrepancy between what should be in the accounts and what was in the accounts, and they called the police. Mm-hmm. And once you get the police in there, and then there's a paper trail and it's money, there's no, you know, slowing down that horse. It basically becomes the state adopts it and takes it over and yada, yada. So... Um, so I grew up at this church from the time I was four to the time I was 16, and I had a really um, heartbreaking conversation with my leader at the time, and he said, hey, you know, you should definitely stop coming to church here. Um, like, I think he meant it out of my own protection, but it also kind of felt like he asked me to, you know, leave the only other family I had, and yeah, it's really complicated. 
and then my mom you know went through a prosecution prosecution process that took like two years so I was 18 when she was sentenced and she was sentenced to five years and she served four um so from 18 to 22 my mom was in prison so 16 was about the time I walked away from the church um I would have said my or my language would have lined up to I'm walking away from deity as well Mm -hmm. Uh, but really I was just pissed off at religion Uh, like I think I would have said that I think I would have said that at that point Mm -hmm. um and yeah so I I walked away from any type of religious expression and any type of Christianity and just didn't want anything to do with it and then I was like the night before my 19th birthday um I was a skate rat so I'd like never showered I was always at the skate park it was lots of fun, punk rock for life. And um, my friend Britt um, was actually at the skate park that night. And he goes, hey, bro, like, I'm going to a Bible study tonight. Do you want to come? I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually happened to be run by one of the elders from the church that arrested my mom. Mm-hmm. But he was somebody, like, I knew my whole life. Like, my first date was with his daughter. We went bowling when I was, like, six um <laughs> super wrong yeah it's a church thing <laughs> I know, right? yeah um and so like I felt safe with him and he was actually really wonderful and lovely to me and everything but I was at the I like pretty much rocked up to the to the bible study and it was like the only time I'd come close to something I would consider like the audible voice of God but I wouldn't say it was the audible voice of God and he said you're meant for this or that was what I interpreted was being said and it was like meant for what i suck at skating like <laughs> meant for church like what the hell and um so i i was like all right i'm in so i i got reaffiliated with um christendom and kind of reaffiliated with a version of jesus that i was more familiar with mm-hmm. and um that was like the beginning of my like super hardcore reform days. I think I read the Bible like four times every year. And <laughs> like, you know, I had slept with John Calvin and Wayne Grudem like right next to my bedside table. That's and now that I'm back in Phoenix, I actually have access to my library. Like I could, I can, I could literally flip through books and show you stuff that I've written down. And like, it's so funny. I can pretty much quote chapter and verse of John Calvin still. Um, Grudem, not as much, but um yeah like loved it but um my understanding of Jesus at this point was a very angry Jesus and the reformed expression of Christianity gave so much room for my own self-loathing and my own Mm self-hatred and um one of the things that was it was helpful but it was still built upon self-loathing was Grudem had this idea that um it was his definition of the word propitiation. So in Romans, it says that Jesus has become our propitiation um, for our sins. And he says that propitiation is, um, is basically this exchange that takes place that whatever, whatever exchange takes place has so much weight or merit to it that it can turn hatred into blessing. Mm. And so I knew that God hated me. I believed that through Jesus, somehow there was a, a beautiful exchange that turned that hatred into. So, so all the, all the hate that I had in me 
I could exchange into love for others or believe that God loved me in some type of version of that. But the, the self-loathing stuff, um, I'm sure is attached to a ton of crap, but um, I began to address when I first started getting treatment for being sexually abused as a kid. Um, and so that, that became a topic when Elise and I were dating. So um, basically I had like a mental breakdown one day at work and had to come you know, home from work and talk to Elise and um, like I needed to apologize because um, in order to cope, one of the things I was doing was, I hope this isn't TMI for anyone listening because I'm just trying to be vulnerable, but like, um, but I was using pornography to cope. And for some people, you know, that's not, you know, a big deal or, um, and, and honestly, I, I, I don't want to put any shame on it because putting shame on anything, I think is antithetical to anything Jesus is interested in doing. Um, but pornography for me was an escape. It was avoiding um, attachment, avoiding intimacy. And it was some way for me to really try and regulate my anxiety and my hatred um, and really I thought that that version of intimacy subconsciously was as good as it could get for me. So believing that somebody would really want to be intimate with me in person was kind of laughable. <laughs> so I was almost like self-sabotaging um, my way through it. But when I started to get treatment for, um, for realizing that all this stuff is connected, that was genuinely when my understanding of Jesus began to explode um, because I realized that like the entire point of the Jesus narrative is that if there is a deity who is somehow connected to Yahweh and somehow connected to Jesus, the point of the Jesus narrative is that there is no longer anything in life that separates us from deity. Mm. except for shame right mm. it's, it's just that self that self separation from relationship of going I'm not worthy of this so I'm I'm out and there can be any number of disqualifiers for that um but but I think the point of Jesus is going there's no external factors that separate you anymore right there's no there's no sexual orientation. <clears throat> there's no theological process. There's no tattoos you have. There's no family orients. There's no race. There's no religion. There's no, there's no anything external that can separate you from deity anymore, except yeah. for you. Um, and uh, the thing that I realized is that Christianity both touts itself with that message but then also sets it up as the primary religion to Jesus and yeah. dictates then how people can and cannot come to Jesus. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's something to be said for dogma and social influence. And, you know, I'm sure I'll get a, a text from some people going, Hey bro, you need to read up on this. I'm good with that. But like, but in all sincerity, I, I just think that um, sin is, contextual and cultural and that's it if it's not contextually harmful to an individual and it's not you know culturally unacceptable <clears throat> then there's really no reason to define it as sin mm. um so interesting and and i yeah and even at that 
if anyone's got a good definition for sin, (laughs) they should write a book on it because every, every book I've read on it so far is absolute horse crap. Um, um, but yeah, so, so my kind of evolution with, with Jesus is at first he was an idea and then, you know, then he was real, but he, I, we hated each other. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and then and then he was a pathway forward mm. um and now now he's really for me he's this entirely welcoming and wonderful human being that we have literally no grasp on yet mm. um like it feels like when you run in evangelical circles maybe even catholic circles to be honest because they're so well written and so well philosophized um um you feel like you know this thing's really nailed out and then and then you study a little bit like you and I have both done and then you realize like we know nothing yeah but but that can feel individual right it's like oh you know Christianity collectively knows a lot it's like no we know nothing like we could spend the next hundreds of thousands of years as a human civilization and maybe more civilizations in the galaxies who knows um you know really really trying to grasp this and getting it wrong and getting it right but also really just trying to understand what type of wisdom is is gatherable here um in order to thrive better but as a father um i've come to I've come to interpret Jesus in an entirely different way. Um, we, we primarily parent through respect and empathy. So like, um, you know, we don't hit one of the funniest things ever. So like, we don't, we don't spank. I, I always thought I was going to spank in all sincerity and a meme changed my mind, um, which is such a wonderful thing. So this meme said like, uh, you know, um, Oh, I was spanked in, when I was a kid and I turned out fine. And then below it, it says, you didn't turn out fine. You think hitting kids is fine. Well, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, touche. Okay, cool. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. So, um, so we try and lead with, you know, empathy and understanding and recognizing that toddlers have, you know, all of this complex emotions that human beings like adults barely can cope with on a regular day basis, except for they have no language skills, they have no coping mechanisms, they have no outlets, they have (laughs) have nothing that adults have to try and help them navigate this world, except for they're feeling all the same things, right? Like when Elise and I have an argument, Charlie will go, mama, dada, what you saying? Right, like, because now she's nervous, like what's going on? Why are you arguing? There's, There's something that's going on here or like, or she'll say like, don't, don't you say that or don't don't talk or like to say all these like adorable things to try and basically get us to stop talking yeah um, if we're having an argument because she can sense that that's going on and so we really try and lead with this like empathetic understanding of yeah you know what you're crying and there's no reason your body probably hurts it's still growing (laughs) your your teeth are still coming in You, you you know you wanted to find a word to express yourself and you couldn't and that feels like hell um oh yeah, I, I can get that you want to go out the front door and you want to be able to walk down the sidewalk by yourself. I get that. 
And I'm really sorry that you can't, but there's a lot of dangerous things going on out there. And yeah. so I would love to come with you and to walk with you. And my, like, my ability to change that and to adapt that language has allowed me to see some of the scriptures and some of the things I believe about God change entirely because now I'm seeing God as this completely empathetic deity who's not far but close and goes yeah I bet you I bet you do hate me I bet you do I bet you don't understand you have every reason to be so mad at me right now you have every reason to be so depressed or so anxious or so confused yeah you you know your parents did this or your generations before you had war after war after war and you know you've left it's left you in this world that's full of chaos and hatred I, I think um one of the conversations I had once was about um was with a student who's who had a family member who was struggling with with narcotics and said like well what am I supposed to do like am I supposed to just you know not talk to him about it and just like let them keep going and I said well, your option is either just love them and listen or to condemn them and they're never going to talk to you about it anyway. Yeah. And, and they went, well, what do you mean? I went, well, look, addiction has this cycle of shame in it. Mm-hmm. And so when you shame what's going on, it's going to keep them moving in the, in the first place. Yeah. But, but if you actually listen and empathize and then engage with what's going on, no wonder an 18-year-old is struggling with addiction. Mm. have you seen the world around them like have you seen what's going on we we blame drug addicts as if they're full like the the best we can come up with is it's a disease it's like no these people are trying to cope with the fact that the world doesn't give a shit about them yeah i hope we cuss on this podcast i'm sorry i never (laughs) like like no wonder i don't think god is far off going could you just could you just lay off the needle, mate? I think God is close going, honey, I'm so sorry that the world is this broken. Yeah. I'm so sorry you're here right now. And I know that this is, you know, the, the best that you have right now in order to deal with this. And as I begin to acknowledge that if my girls were ever, you know, um, struggling with addiction or with use of narcotics or things like that, I wouldn't want to be far. I'd want to be close. And, and it changed the way that I viewed God in that sense. It's like, we keep calling these things sin. And it's like, well, why? What are you really trying to say? Is this harming those people? Yeah. Is it culturally unacceptable? Yeah. But also like, you're not out there changing the status quo of economies and systems and governments and policies and like in order to protect them or benefit them or help them like you just want to be able to point the finger and then keep on walking and say well go find Jesus and Jesus will help and it's like fucking Jesus has been here for how long <laughs> like yeah. western civilization and Christian Christendom are completely intertwined and thank God they are for so many reasons but also holy crap if only they weren't for so many others like thank God we have modern medicine and development of, you know, certain philosophies and human rights. And those have definitely come out of some Christian theology, but also horribly atrocious things have come out of it as well. Yeah. And yeah, so it's just, for me, Jesus has completely evolved um, to the point, and I guess this can kind of take us to where we're going as well, but 
to the point where so many of the conversations that are taboo, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Mm. How is it still taboo? Mm. Why is this, why is this still a topic? Like women in, <laughs> women in ministry or, you know, patriarchy or whatever. And it's like, yeah, guys, yeah. The patriarchy is munted. It's absolutely thrashed and it has dominated society for a very long time and it's unacceptable. And I'm not saying matriarchy or oligarchy or any of the other archies, right? Like, I don't even know what the other real options are. All I know is I love my wife. She's badass. And I've got two daughters and I want them to run the world. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there's worldview conversations that are going on, things that we've moved on from when it comes to scripture, like, like somehow it's acceptable in the churches in the church's world to like ah oh, okay you know maybe it wasn't maybe maybe creation didn't happen in six 24-hour day periods maybe so like let's just not really talk about it probably wasn't evolution because oh evolution killed god but like uh you know it's, it's it probably wasn't six days could be whatever i don't know but like yeah somehow we can move on from that because we're willing to accept science yeah <laughs> <laughs> like and then yeah and then people treat science as if it's not a, a method of of thinking and discipline like science means that something is testable and like there's a hypothesis around it and it's replicable and it's it's so multiple people can do it and then there's control variables and and, and there's all this type of process to science in order to try and test hypotheses all the time and to validate them or to say that this one has um, room for growth, room for room for improvement. But if we can move on from that creation narrative, mm. we're not going to move on from patriarchy, or we're not going to move on from fundamentalism. Okay, can I just get on a soapbox about fundamentalism for a second? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> fundamentalism is the dumbest thing in the entire world. Like people always. Okay, so when I moved here, um one night my mom and I were drinking and I don't know, she got, she got nervous. We were talking about immigration and like, you know, Fox news can spread like crazy. <laughs> and, um, and uh, she, she, she starts talking about like, I'm just, I'm scared of what your future is going to look like. I'm scared for the girls. I'm scared for what the country is going to look like, blah, blah, blah. I'm scared. There's going to be a liberal takeover. And I'm like, Tink, who's, my mom my mom didn't want to be a grandma she wanted to be a tink so she's tink oh that's cute it's, yeah it's cute it works um i'm like tink do you realize in the history of western civilization there's been one liberal takeover i don't know any that do you know which one it is no the french revolution oh all of the other hostile takeovers have been fundamental uprisings. LOL. <laughs> All of them. That's so fun. And so what I mean by fundamental, I mean conservative, right? The pendulum swing back. Mm. And, and so like people who promote fundamentalism for evangelical Christianity, it's like, do you realize that the exact same version of Islam that exists that you consider terrorists and, you know, believe that there is some type of call on your life in order to dismantle this religion. Do you, do you realize that that expression of Islam is also fundamentalist? Fundamentalist is a category <laughs> and you are now identifying your expression of Christianity as a conservative fundamentalist 
religion mm-hmm. where these values and theologies were developed no more than 140 years ago in response to German biblical criticism, right? A couple of Germans got together and said, hey, let's read the Bible not as if it's, you know, definitely the word of God. Let's read it kind of the same way we read the Quran or we read the Mishnah or we read kind of any of these other texts yeah. and, and engage with it critically. And all of a sudden the Americans go, oh my God, these friggin' Germans, you gotta be kidding me. And so they respond and they go, they will not take this Bible away from me, blah, 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 blah. blah. And they create all of this theology, right? That the, that the word of God is inspired, that it's inerrant, that it's infallible. Well, you guys, we had like no evidence at the time whatsoever to even affirm that. <laughs> like textual criticism was still in its like earliest years. We still hadn't discovered the Qumran scrolls. Like we, th- there was just nothing but blind faith put into the fact that this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can <laughs> right? like, so this was the like wildest thing. And we trumpet this theology still to this day, even though it doesn't make any sense mm. doesn't make any sense I, I one of the things that i loved that i learned um when i was studying uh, pentecostalism um i learned this from dr andrew davies is he says he says pentecostals have this overlap with fundamentalist christianity but it was more of a protection mechanism right in the early 20s in the, of the 20th century so 1920s um basically pentecostalism is on the rise right and well in white churches we can talk about that in a second as well um and the fundamentalists go who are you right like how do you fit are you safe can we you know do we have any kind of common ground or whatever and pentecostals went what's what do you want they said how do you read the bible he said how do you read the bible and so the fundamentalist said here's our statement of faith and the pentecostals went that works for us yeah nice signed off on it and went forward but yeah. the pentecostals don't read the bible as if it's inspired inerrant infallible that they, they read the word of god purely as if it's authoritative that's right. it if it says this then i can do that and there's something beautiful about it and there's something stupid about it and that's great because that's all societies right is, yeah. is there's beauty and there's stupidity but um but like i'm good with that right? Read the Bible for authority. I'm good with that. That's great. Don't use it authoritatively, right? You don't have the authority. You're giving the scriptures the authority in your community. Um, but like infallibility and infallible, right? It's, it can't be misleading about God. Infallible. Mm. <clears throat> <clears throat> is God a genocidal maniac or is he not? Depends on what scripture you read. <laughs> If you read the Jewish scriptures, right? And if you, if you read it as a fundamentalist, God said, go into Jericho and slaughter every man, woman, and child. Now, before you do that, also just snip the tip a little bit and then run in. But like, what? Yeah. No. Okay, you're telling me, so, so that genocidal maniac is the same God that puts on flesh and comes to earth and then, you know, authorizes himself essentially to be hung on a cross. Okay. Cool. So you're right. The, the New Testament God, the Christian scriptures God, is not a genocidal maniac, but he is willing to child abuse his own son by putting him on the cross. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, is he or is he not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like Abraham, 
right? Abraham goes up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. Yeah. Stupid, horrible story. Yeah. Right? Like every time in the Jewish scriptures, you get a lengthy story. Most of the time it's telling you what not to do. Yeah. But most people don't understand that. Like they're reading it and they're going, David's such a hero. No, David is an insecure guy with little man syndrome who's got a gay best friend who... Oh. <laughs> and, they, and they were probably gay together which i will cool. i'm on board with the david was bisexual narrative i'm like him and jonathan man that is the most beautiful little love story i mean it's kind of sad but really super beautiful. sad super, super sad yeah poor jonathan i know poor john basically anytime someone is barely mentioned in the jewish scriptures it's like this guy was a good guy and jonathan is genuinely barely men- mentioned yeah yeah um but yeah like okay so abraham right Mm. back on clarity it says that abraham went up the mountain three times to sacrifice Isaac. right three times so i I remember i mentioned this to somebody who was um upset with me in class once i said so why did he go up the mountain three times and he goes i I don't know i guess he you know had to make up his mind or whatever i said no he went up the mountain three times because it's three different it's three different tellings of the same story that was compiled compiled in the same chapter. Mm. He goes, "What do you mean?" And so then I pulled up the video from you know Yale and like Eloistic and Yoistic and blah 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 Yoistic and and the Deuteronomist and blah blah blah. All the biblical scholars that listen to your chat listen to your podcast yeah, yeah. are just. <laughs> I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm not even a scholar. Um, I'm just an R. Um, and, um, and so, you know, we start having this conversation. And for me, like this huge light bulb went on, genuinely this conversation of going, holy crap, wait a second. Everyone always interprets Abraham as being faithful to God by going to, to sacrifice Isaac as if God is the one who actually instituted that idea. Now, that's what the text says in English is God told Abraham to go up and sacrifice. But the reality of it is, is that Abraham came from Ur. Ur was Babylon. Mm. In Babylon, they worshiped gods that required you to sacrifice your children. Yep. He hadn't heard from Yahweh. He was assuming this was his next step, right? And so, God a, told, yeah. so he goes up, sacrifices Isaac or gets ready to do so. And instead, an, a messenger of the Lord comes and goes, Abraham, whoa, 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 what are you, what are you doing, right? And Abraham's like, uh, this is kind of, it's kind of what we do, right? Because I'm, and I'm, this is how I'm interpreting the messenger now. It's just going, oh my God. All right. Your bloodlust is real. Okay. This is where we're at in humanity. Cool. I'm time traveling. I'm catching up. All right. Okay. So there's a ram. Just kill the frigging ram. Like yeah. for your own conscious, you think you have to kill something. So take the ram and slaughter it. Done, right? But immediately I went, Yahweh is not disappointed or identifying that as sin or you know negating his relationship with Abraham. He's actually positively interpreting Abraham through Abraham's own contextual lens. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like now... What Abraham was going to do with Isaac was the exact same reason, however many thousands of years later, 
the Israelites go into exile into Babylon. Yeah. Right? So it's like God is going, okay, this is where you're at now. We need to progress forward. And then as time goes on, there wasn't a progression forward. And so it's like, I don't know what goes on in the mind of God from that standpoint, but for, for somehow there's just this massive irony that's playing here of God going, okay, this is what you really want. Then let's just see how this goes or something like that. That seems too harsh for me, but also, I don't know. The only way that I can sleep at night believing that God's not a genocidal maniac yeah. is going, yeah. the Jewish scriptures aren't inerrant and infallible about God's character or, mm. or about who Yahweh is. It's actually completely flawed and completely biased and completely contextual to a very warful, violent people who interpreted Yahweh this way. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's only they could see him. Yeah. Really, and even, really and even religiously manipulated some stuff in order yeah. to like defend their activities and actions. Yeah. Um, and I'm okay with that. Any, anyone I think who thinks that they don't do that yeah. <laughs> is like immediately dangerous to me. I'm like, yeah. oh, you don't know you're religiously manipulative? Oh, okay. Yeah, you're real dangerous. <laughs> yeah, especially the people who are like, I know it and I don't like, I don't care. And it's like, oh, that's that's interesting it's an interesting yeah. response yeah i didn't realize you had everything figured out nice to meet yeah. you god so what has the church's role been in your life i guess since then but also what do you think her role is in the world and in society like at large like what is she meant to, and i use her on mm -hmm. purpose because i guess yeah. she is you know living breathing it's not just an it um, yeah but yeah if you could kind of yeah, thoughts on that. I think, um, I think that's, so I think that's a really, it's a complicated question because the reality of the purpose of the church and the present expression of the church are so far offline. Well, that was going to be my third question was yeah. how do you like, how do we bridge the gap between what her present expression is or the reality of what she is yeah yeah that's yeah so okay so let me see if i can progress through these so without being entirely depressing i think if i have to be honest the church has been completely useless to me most of my life mm. um its usefulness has come in sits like socially developing friends access to economic factors so like jobs or you know connections or relationships or whatever um and even at one point you know i was in, i was employed by a church or a couple of different points um so i know i sound hypocritical in that um but the the benefit of that has almost for me, never been really meaningful. Now I know for me that's tied up in how damaged I am and, and my inability to trust a lot of people um, and to operate at that point. But also having said that, I've had the same best friend since I was five years old and we met at church, right? Like I've got, I've got one best friend and I've got a wife who's a best friend and that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And so from that standpoint of like, I, I would equate that to God's been very faithful. I wouldn't equate that to that's the church. Right. <laughs> um, um, but the, the, in its current expression, the church is still very useful, right? Society is very lonely. It's not very safe. There's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of active places or weren't a lot of active places where you could go to develop meaningful relationships um, based on some type of similar common ground or worldview. However, I think that the point of the church is really where we get to, and, and this is actually loaded with Christianese, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to disassemble this language right now, but it's really where we as humanity get to outwork our understanding and expression of what the heck grace is mm. and what the heck pro like proximity to deity is, mm. right? Now, there is a certain aspect of that is currently happening within churches, but they're so theologically entwined that it's impossible to make significant headway when the church is wrong, right? So, which brings us to the idea of homosexuality, which we need to touch on and we can, but we can, we can like graze over it really quickly and deep dive in a second. Um, <laughs> but like homosexuality is something that the church has labeled as entirely taboo and entirely wrong and entirely sinful based on some really bad theology mm. and have just gone, okay, yeah, come to the church. The church is a hospital, right? It's a hospital for the broken. Come in, we'll mend your wounds. No, 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 no one's doing that, right? Like no one's doing, even, even if you thought homosexuality was a sin, it's not being treated as if it's some type of brokenness. It's being treated as if it's like the person and the disease are the same, right? right? And that that person is broken and unwelcome and can't come to God and can't stay in community and can't lead and can't this and can't that because of their sexual orientation. <laughs> okay there. Let's just pause for a second. Um, wasn't there a eunuch who was reading Isaiah in Acts who came to know Jesus from reading the scriptures? Right? Yeah. Was it Philip and the eunuch? And Philip Yeah, it was yeah. Yeah, and and so I think it's Philip. Philip's in my head. Um and so I think it's Philip and I think he, <laughs> not my Bible, but I won't find it fast enough. Um, right. So for anyone who doesn't know, eunuchs in antiquity were basically um, transgender people or um, self-mutilated or socially mutilated people in order to be safe around women from, you know, not being able to be impregnated or, or potentially they were homosexual and they elected to, or, well, Two different categories potentially they were became eunuchs because their homosexuality or because they were homosexual and potentially they became eunuchs um uh for i don't know a number of different reasons but sometimes it was also biological they could be sterile or anything um so we don't exactly know what's going on but basically anytime a eunuch is mentioned it's basically saying this is not your binary gender situation that's all you need to know and this person then comes to Jesus, gets baptized, and the disciple that that evangelizes Jesus to the eunuch, like literally disappears, <laughs> like in the narrative, like 
gone. Is immediately transported. Um, hello? Okay, so, yeah. so at one point we go, yeah, the eunuch gets saved. Well, okay, so what happens to his eunuchy? <laughs> like, is it immediately just fixed in the baptismal? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so. <laughs> if only when we if only when we met Jesus all of our infirmities were fixed right yeah like, I that's how I feel about my infirmities it's like if only my butt could get smaller um uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> instead I just keep eating vanilla wafers and sitting on the couch watching scrubs with my wife um beautiful that sounds ideal <laughs> it's so good it's so good um so the the church should be the least judgmental, most accepting, you know, and, and, and when I say judgmental, it, I mean, I mean it in, in the actual negative connotation of the word, right? Like, like judgments can be both positive and, and negative. So I think Isabella is phenomenal. That's a judgment. I'm, I'm coming to that conclusion based on evidence and I'm making that decision that that's something I believe and I'm going to put weight into. Um, now, negative judgments, I think are necessary at times, right? Is to go, hey, something's not beneficial for me. But um, that's kind of like this individualistic, intrinsic judgment and value and statement. But the, the church, the Western church keeps doing this widespread expression of this is not acceptable <laughs> across the board. Yeah. Um, and that is the type of negative judgment that's not acceptable, right? And because of the way the church is set up, the, there's, there's no room for parody, right? Like the Western church is, is as um, polarizing as American politics. Mm -hmm. Like you're either a liberal Christian or you read the Bible. So yeah, like the church should be adaptable and growable and inclusive and a place where, you know, two people can completely disagree on their own understanding and outworking of their personality within their relationship with deity. Um, however, because they're not forcing it upon each other to have this universal expression of personality, then there's no conflict. But the church right now functions on so much social shame and pressure and anxiety in order to try and, all right, I'm going to say it, control people from behaving in certain ways that we either disagree with or don't validate or we think are, you know, evil. And that type of shame is literally antithetical to the message of Jesus. Yeah. Like if you read the Christian scriptures, they say that Jesus came to demolish sin and shame. <laughs> like That's and yet it clearly says that <laughs> yeah and yet anytime you meet somebody who's sinning and and like or anybody who is sinning yeah that was air quotes in case you don't do the video and an evangelical christian comes in it's like shame yeah. that's gonna lead to repentance yeah the freak why why would it so so bridging the gap is it's really it's really going to be, I think at least, I mean, frick if I know, 
but <laughs> but for me, I think the things that I value the most and I can see working are kind of threefold is listening to minorities. Mm. So listening to people outside of the expression of Western Christianity in order to try and engage with a new understanding. Yeah. Um, is um, continue this deconstructing process, mm. right? So um, I know I've told you uh, when we first met that like I hate the the word deconstructing mm. I hate it so much um, not not because of its implications but I just think it's the wrong word it completely sends off the wrong sentiment um, and now I was doing that from afar in Australia where I wasn't really listening to any of the same podcasts or people so I'm not I'm not saying it from an offensive way I'm saying it from a defensive way of going anyone who I've met who's asking these questions I don't think you're deconstructing Christianity or a faith. I think what you're doing is just critically engaging and realizing that God is probably a whole lot bigger than <laughs> like, so keep going, right? If it, if it takes you away from God or if it takes, it takes you away from deity, it may just take you away from your theological presumptions about deity, but it doesn't necessarily have to take you further away from deity. Um, that's a matter of what you're wanting out of it. Um, and take it from somebody who's been effed over by the church a lot. Mm. Like, I get it. I, I got no issues with that whatsoever. I really don't. I just want you to be healthy, happy, whole, and for you to be able to function in life the way that you need. And I can't cope. Um, I'd be an extremely violent and angry person. No, I wouldn't. I'm too small and fragile. I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> I'm way too sensitive. I, I think I, I think I would just have been way more self-harming um, yeah. if I didn't come across um, a deity that I that I started to trust. Let's not call a church service the church. Yeah. Right. And I think so many people are grasping that after the pandemic because they realized their church um, affiliation was really just a country club membership. And when, you know, when the pandemic happened and the country club said, join our services online, but we don't really want to call you or know your name or ask how you're doing or yeah. can even be there. It was like, oh, this is not the same church that existed in the Black Plague. Yeah. Like my pastor is not actually going and burying bodies and hoping he doesn't catch it. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. And that's okay. But it's just, there's a, there's a huge disparity here. Um, and then I think the, I think the third thing that we have to do is we actually, we actually have to stop engaging with the church as it is when we find ourselves maturing beyond it. And we have to begin engaging with the church in a different way. Mm. Um, and, and being, you know, in that being what it is that we're talking about is being that non-judgmental, non allowing your opinion to be changed, um, whether that's immediately or over time or through logic, or through the Bible, or through experience or whatever, you know, key factor there is for us, we've got to be able to be changed. Yeah. And yeah. And, and allow, allow there to be so much unknown. Yeah, I think the the i don't know if it's the best thing we could do 
but one of the better things that we could do is as like a community of I guess Christians or whatever faith-filled people in the west is to just I don't know <laughs> like it's yeah. the most encouraging I think um Sarah and I have been doing a lot of like life together over the last year so a lot of what I said is just like <laughs> Sarah and I were talking about but we were talking about um how there's been like it feels like there's been this shift where people don't want their pastors or their leaders to fix their problems they want them to sit in it with them and I yeah. think that that's always been present like as humanity I think as humans you want people to sit with us in our pain or in our grief or whatever yeah, but I yeah. think with the pandemic being online with us being online and kind of a disconnect between like the church and her four walls and like community and stuff I think people are just wanting someone to go and I don't know I don't know yeah. I don't know why the world is shit I don't know why yeah. a god that we've put into this box as loving and kind and like that's all he is why he would let this i don't know and yeah. saying that isn't instantly comforting because it's almost like depending on who you are it can be even more anxiety inducing to have the god of the universe kind of not that he doesn't know but that you don't know you know what i mean like it's oh my gosh but i think there is there's so much beauty and it's so worth it just to go, like, I don't know. But I'm going to sit with you anyways, just as he sits with us in those moments. And I'm like, and one of the best things that's kind of on the pandemic for me, and like, I've had to stop praying because of OCD and stuff, is that I've realized that I can like write laments and my brain is fine with it. Yeah. And it's like, we don't teach people, at least not in my experience. I won't say we as like, no one in the western church in my experience we don't prioritize lamenting or yeah, like taking yeah. a job posture of just like what the hell like yeah. what is happening and like actually voicing that and not just going no like you know the world is crazy but god's got it dude yeah. really <laughs> it, it don't look like it and like you can still be future focused and like believe whatever prophetic god's got it but like lamenting is really like the first half of it is really just going being so honest and going this is this is the reality of it all and yeah. i think that there would be so many more people who feel like they can navigate faith and relationship with god and chaos and grief and hurt if they could just go if they had the tools to lament properly but isn't that what real faith actually is? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, and, and I don't mean real faith as in like, you don't, you don't have real faith if you don't lament. I, I mean, when you've, when you have a faith in a relationship, right? Take away the deity aspect. When you have a faith in a relationship, you can bring heavy topics to that relationship because you know, it's not going to break it. You can be honest with it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Hebrews, it, for me now, whenever I read it, I literally laugh out loud because to me, it's a, it's a joke. Like to me, I'm, I'm hearing the narrator as a stand-up comedian <laughs> and he's saying for, without faith, it's impossible to please God because you have to have faith in order to draw near to God and you have to believe that he exists. 
Mm. Like, and yeah. you know, right? And we sit there going, "Yeah, you gotta believe. You gotta believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta believe." And it's like, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Are you are you missing this? Like, literally, if you hate God for whatever reason, mm. and you go to God on the sidewalk or in your bedroom or wherever it is you find yourself and you shake your fist at wherever you think God is and you swear and you dance around, you do whatever it is you need to do, right? And maybe it's not negative, but maybe this is what you do. That is more faith-filled, right? Than the person who is avoiding God <laughs> because they think that they need to earn their way back through Christian yeah. deep, right? Yeah. Like, that to me is the essence of what Christianity is. It really is this faith. It, it, it really is. So, so it's, it's like, it's not even, so there's religious aspects to it because of different contexts and different cultures, but it literally is like a faith, like a worldview, a, a lens in which you interpret all things. So I'll give you an example of how I, like I literally just had a, a faith breakthrough in my own life. Um, but we've been on the journey of, you know, trying to figure out how to do two incomes and the girls are bored at home and we're doing everything we can to try and expand their world. But, you know, we need to try and get them into school. So Elise um, had applied to become like an assistant director at a daycare because we've become huge advocates for, you know, safe parenting and, and like in protection. And like, it was like a, yeah, this would be amazing. We can influence other kids and you can be there for the girls and it's the same commute for them as it is for you and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and we were talking with um, somebody we both know, but she'll hate it if I say her name. Um, so I won't, um, <laughs> I'll text you later. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, Elise and I have just been, you know, struggling and navigating some stuff. And, um, and she goes, you guys, don't you trust God with your kids? And Elise goes, yeah. And I went, no. <laughs> like, not at all. Yeah. But, I, but I was honest and literally it was like something in my soul like fell at ease and all of a sudden God and I were communing about this yeah. in any way because I let my guard down and I put faith into who he is but understanding you know I don't trust you dude because when I was a kid I was abused when yeah. I was a kid mom got arrested by the church I don't I don't trust you to make everything good for this so no I don't but I, I do still like, we're still good. <laughs> I, I just have to figure out how I'm going to navigate this now as a father and as a human being as an, and as a control freak, like yeah. uh, I'm not going to trust you with this without putting in safety implications. And for me, it was like, I felt God going, okay. Yeah. Why would you have to? Mm. And I was like, great. All right, let's do this thing. Yeah. And, and I think so many times people want to overcomplicate faith but okay so but but this for me this is what christianity is it's actually just based on faith so remember how i was bagging on fundamentalists earlier <laughs> yeah they have, they have this way of trying to um defend or or uh or prove some type of theology through what i call proof texts <sighs> yeah right so yeah so if this is when the bible says something in a sentence um in english so that we can uphold it theologically so thank like, you for making that clarification in english <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
So like, um, uh, there is no single proof text for the Trinity unless, um, for the theology of the Trinity, unless you read the NKJV. And then it's, I think it's 1 John 5, 7 in NKJV. And it says, for there is the there is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who all testify, and these three are one, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but every other translation and all that stuff, there's no proof text for that, right? But whenever you need that, you go to 1 John 5, 7, NKJV, right. and boom, there you are, Trinity, boom, all in one sentence, blah, 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 blah. It's a horribly stupid thing to do. I'm about to do it. Um, <laughs> so, so back to our topic of sin. There is no blatant definition for what sin is in either the Jewish scriptures or in the Christian scriptures, except for Acts 14. I think it's Acts 14. Romans? Oh, Cody, don't do this to me. I think it might be Romans 14. I think it's Romans 14. It's near the end. (laughs) Okay, so contextually, it's at the end of Romans 14. Um, and it's literally when Paul is saying not to pass judgment on each other for eating food sacrificed to idols. Oh, right, right, right. Huge topic in antiquity, huge topic in the early church, because food sacrificed to idols was considered idol worship. And so if you're eating that food that was, you know, was blessed to whoever, then it's like you're eating it to them. But Paul is saying, no, 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 eat, drink, be merry. Just don't judge one another. Like if it sears your conscience to eat the meat, don't do it. If it's, if you can eat the meat and it doesn't see your conscience, eat it. This is actually like a huge topic in non-Western churches because there's still a lot of food, uh, animal sacrifices. Yeah. In cult. yeah. Um, so um, verse 22 says, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Here's the proof text. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Right? This is the only time that you could, in theory, have a proof text and kind of contextual understanding of what sin means to the early church. Right? And Paul is kind of saying here that sin is an action that is absent of faith or taking you away from faith. It's taking you away from that relationship or proximity to deity. Right. So that would be self-condemnation, self-loathing, you know, self-shame, or it could be social as well. But right. Paul is literally throughout the entire chapter saying, stop with the social shame. God's made everything clean. Stop with the social shame. And so this, for me, has been an entire game changer when it comes to homosexuality and when it comes to anything sinful, right? It's sinful, air quotes, again, because sin is no longer a universal explanation sin is actually a jewish word that's contextualized to that shame that separates you from deity and that's it mm. right yeah I and just spiked <laughs> <laughs> i watched my like, abnormal heart rate i'm like okay. <laughs> i hope that's a good thing so yeah. <laughs> so this is insane because this now means that so many more things can be sin while at the same time, so many fewer things can be sin. So I can read the Bible constantly and do it from a place of needing to prove myself to myself. Right. 
and it can be more sinful than if I were to engage with pornography. Yeah, you're probably going to get a few texts for that. <laughs> 100%. 100%. But, yeah, but, that's that's the, amazing, but that's the amazing thing is because if I can lift shame, so I'm not saying everything is beneficial. I'm saying that I don't have to participate in the things now that bring me shame because, because I believe Jesus came to lift shame off of everything I do and everything I am. Right. And it means that if, <laughs> then it means that if something is bringing me shame, I can either figure out a workaround if it's an essential thing, like eating food sacrificed to idols, right. right? I can work with Jesus to try and strip that away. So like people um, who are in, are in marriages who have a difficulty being intimate with each other because of their theological presuppositions, right? Like they don't want to get down and dirty with each other because they think they need to be so pure, well, that is, that is shame that is being put on you that God's never meant for there to be there. So you can also not engage sexually, but that's going to create tension in your marriage life. So you could actually figure out how to let Jesus in there to lift that shame through psychology and, and through your relationship with Jesus and through all different types of treatments and safe people in your world and a safe marriage dynamic. Um, and there can be change that comes there. Um, and actually, I just want to pause and clarify. If anyone thinks that I was being gender specific, I'm not. <laughs> I'm the one without a sex drive in my family. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so um, so there's, there's all this room for shame to be lifted by Jesus and by all other things, right? Which then means that people who genuinely love Jesus and want to practice homosexuality, not only can because of that reason, but they can because our understanding of, of homosexuality in the, new, in the early Christian scriptures is actually a horrible translation. Oh, don't. But we have to. I'm only a Greek two student. I've only done a year of Greek, but oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. so I, I'm not a Greek scholar and I'm not even stealing this from my wife. This, this came out of, uh, I needed to do research for myself because I wanted to know, you know, what's the ambiguity here? And basically anyone who wants to know, Isabella can give you my email. I will send you the seven articles that I've got. It's like three conservatives, one middle of the line and three liberal. Um, and you can figure it out for yourself. But basically what I've picked up from these seven articles that are peer reviewed journal articles on this topic that range in different types of publications is that there is so much ambiguity in defining what the hell Paul is talking about in Romans 1 that we have determined is homosexuality. Yeah. It, could, um, it could be uh, the type of sexual act, right? Like it could be that um, Paul was saying he doesn't want a female to dominate a male. So basically to ride on top. Yeah. Um, it could be um, actually, so at this time, uh the like the idea of jewish purity purity was so high that when when he, when he's saying like um you know you're doing something impure it could actually literally be being um referenced to having sex for pleasure and not just for procreation so yeah. that was considered abysmal at that time as well in in that or, or could be in that historical um time period um and so there's just so much ambiguity going on here as to specifically what Paul is talking about here. 
that all I know is that he's specifically not talking about consensual, consensual adult homosexual relationships. Yeah. That's all I know he's not talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. could be, it could be covered under that because of, you know, Jewish customs and cultures and, had, and like, homosexuality definitely would have been a big taboo for, you know, first century Jewish people. But that is not what that passage of scripture is on about. I will say, and this pisses people off that try to have like being gay as a sin argument with me. And because and, I, I know that there's value in uncovering what the Bible says about certain things and whatever, whatever. But to be honest, my answer has always been my experience of God is that it is not a sin. I have an argument that scripture, I guess, base that could I could argue from scripture, but it's also like, even that aside, the God that I know, does it make sense? So I agree. And it and the horrible part is is that we are telling people they can't draw near to deity oh. through manipul through religious manipulation when we claim to follow a religious way of life that has no boundaries, that ha it, has, it has no markers or separation for people, right? Like, it is bonkers to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely, I think it's the, thing, it's the thing that keeps me up at night and it's the thing that made me make a decision on this was going, am I going to be, am, am, if Jesus is real and the afterlife is anything like what we think it's going to look like, mm. and we have some semblance of this life and, you know, some type of review or reflection with Jesus, am I going to have to acknowledge that my theological presuppositions told more people that they weren't loved and weren't accepted? Mm. Jessa, Jessa Hastings, she did, she does like question, I don't know if you follow her, but she does question Wednesdays, but yeah. never on a Wednesday anymore, <laughs> but, <laughs> and like, I want to say maybe a year ago, two years ago, she constantly gets this reoccurring question about like, is being gay a sin, is, you know, is getting an abortion, like they, people are asking her, are some topics sins, and she responded with one, she was like, I just wish you guys could get this. And she goes, I'd rather get to heaven and God go, you know, Jessa, you were maybe a little bit too loose with yeah. how you interpreted scripture and the way that you loved people, but that love for people allowed them to experience me in a way that made them feel whatever, love, welcome, seen, whatever. She's like, I'd rather him say that as opposed to I get you know, I get up there, air quotes, and he goes, you were so narrow with how you saw me and, you know, the words in the Bible that you actually prohibited people from ever getting to experience the love I have for them. And I read that and it was like, that's it. Like, yeah. I never really found a way to articulate that, but she had, and I was like, no, that's it. But the, cons the conservative reply to that, right, is, again, a huge religious manipulation is going, yeah, but if you're widespread, then there are going to be some people who don't make it into the afterlife. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know. <laughs> yeah. As if. 
like <laughs> as if <laughs> this is also like might get people a little i haven't said this publicly but i've said this to a couple people so whatever but i'm like i think like Mid? as if yeah i'm like oh whatever <laughs> i'm not on social media right now really anyway so scams <laughs> will go to request and i'll go delete them anyways but um <laughs> is i think my goal air quotes have changed i'm like i actually don't this is gonna sound so terrible because i don't know how else to phrase it i don't care where you end up in eternity like i care but i also am not like my goal isn't salvation it's not to save people my goal if i had to like say that i had one is for people to experience the love and the welcome and the embrace that i've experienced from jesus like because yeah. he is so much better than salvation okay if, if, that, if, if what i'm saying is it all making sense well, I know john, like, well, john 17 but, even says that right when jesus this is the last prayer that jesus does before he goes in the garden of gethsemane and in john 17 he says like a god i or a father I pray that they would know you as I know you and that we are one yeah. and that this is salvation, right? Like it is that, it's that knowing of deity that leads to self-knowledge, that leads to other love, that leads to me love, that leads to other acceptance and me acceptance. And there's this entire process and, and evolution of becoming more human, yeah. right? And, and becoming you know, everybody wants to say, become more like Jesus. And it's weighted with this, like, become more perfect or, you know, less sinful or whatever. And it's like, no, become more human. Yeah. Right? If Jesus is the perfect human, he was the most human, become more human. <laughs> like, and I agree with that entirely. We were supposed to talk about I don't know. Well, we were supposed to talk about homosexuality in the future of the church. I think we got there. Well, we were gonna, I was going to try to sprinkle in, which I had. I was going to fail. I set myself up for failure. Marble and uh, what was the other thing? Thanks for having me. Genuinely, this was this was super. Like it was super cool. I'll do it again anytime. And I know at least would be super keen. Cool.